Hi, I'm Andrew. I'm Kirsten. And this is Most Foul. Hello. Hello, hello. <laughs> Channeling wolves for some reason. <laughs> uh, well, it's almost the harvest moon is coming or I don't know what. Okay, one quick tangent. I am sick of <laughs> the media and the news trying to convince us that the moon is doing new things every fucking week. Oh, I know. It's a super blue cherry moon. <laughs> it's the wolf eagle moon. I know. It's the delta diamond emerald triple sapphire moon. And I wonder, like... That must be somebody's job, like alerting all the agencies that some new thing is. There's like someone who works at the meteorological moonshine townhome society about moon happenings. I'm convinced it is for social media clicks. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like it's not news and it happens all the time now. And it's like it did not happen for the last 30 years it is like something within five years well because there was no way to disseminate that kind of like minutiae right i mean you're not going to be talking about like the iran contra hearings and then oh by the way did you hear it's like the biggest super moon blue moon since baba ba buddy fuck like (laughs) (laughs) but now it's like there's so many channels for useless information that you kind of have to. It's kind of like naming winter storms <laughs> like they do hurricanes. It's like they're the weather channel is desperate for attention and I'm sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, they started naming heat waves in Europe this summer. Did you see that? Oh. I think heat waves or droughts, something bad like end times related. And it was Zoe. Yeah. The first one was Zoe. I can understand somewhat, but it's just like, as someone who grew up with hurricanes, it's like, okay, calm down. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean. I understand it was bad because of location, population, and just not being built for that. Mm -hmm. But when they called like category one hurricane Superstorm Sandy just because it hit New York. It was like, shut the fuck up. But I think, so for real, I think this is tied to this whole idea that I've been reading about. And we talked off pod about quiet quitting and how that's bullshit. Like it's just having boundaries at work. But this whole idea. So I started reading about this not new, but newish movement, which is rooted in old movements called anti-work. And I joined the subreddit and it it was talking about how, I don't know, some study or whatever the fuck about like 98% of people don't find meaning in their work. But this idea that not that they don't quote, find meaning in their work, like they're not working hard enough to connect the meaning and what they do, but like, Mm -hmm. 98% of work is inherently meaningless and it's just like rats in the maze and like you do it to make people money not because it's needed for 
the benefit of humanity kind of thing, which we've talked about before. But if you connect that to, you know, Joe Schmo sitting in his cubicle at the Weather Channel and needing to, like, quote, find meaning or make meaning in his work and, like, you're trying to, you know, you might make things a little bit more than they are to feel better about what you do at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just, that's my working theory there about that. Also, it's clear that capitalism controls the media. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> when I see stuff, I'm on, I'm on that subreddit a bunch, but when I see you're article, on anti-work like, legitimate, too? Yes. How <laughs> yes. <laughs> have we never talked about this before? I guess it's just one of those things that like, it's a private subreddit. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Um, oh no, but like, I, I see like the legitimate articles that are like 26% of people who left their jobs during the great quitting or whatever regret it. And it's like, okay, yeah, but the article is 74% of people are happy they quit their jobs. Yes, yeah, I, I saw that post. Oh my God, now we have a whole new line of things to talk about off pod is anti work subreddit. Yay. Sorry to all of our uh, meteorologist listeners and uh, Weather Channel employee listeners that I just completely raged on. But I mean, it applies to us too. Like, I mean, I say it all the time, marketing is not brain surgery. And like both in degree of difficulty, it's not brain surgery. And also like in its importance in the grand scheme of things, like it's not brain surgery, you know? Oh, marketing. We're just rats in the maze too, you and me, Andrew. Except for this pod. This pod, like, advances the cause of humanity. I'd say it's not brain surgery, but think about how bad everyone at every job you've ever had is (laughs) at marketing that doesn't (laughs) actually do marketing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean... Yes. I get okay, so it's not brain surgery for us because we're highly intelligent skilled people. <laughs> when I think of the clients <laughs> they really don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean there's a vast range between something truly unskilled and brain surgery. But I mean, this also ties back to my weird balance of like being self-effacing, but also supremely confident. There's a part of me that <laughs> believes if push came to shove, like I could actually do brain surgery even without a medical degree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just pull up those surgical bootstraps and get, get to work. I mean, you know, like with a good YouTube tutorial, and the right tools, I think I'd be fine. Yeah. i figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe not brain surgery, but I'm definitely a not official psychologist. Oh, yeah. I wanted to get into the psychology last week so badly, mm-hmm. and we probably won't get into it this week either. But we will next week. From my watching of like forensic files and criminal minds like Uh this type of hatchet work for murder and the number of times it feels intense yep 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 somebody was peeved someone was feeling very peevish that day so should we jump in i think we should because i'm really excited to hear what you found so 
um, you know, cold open episode 51, Lizzie Borden, take one. Part D. <laughs> so when it comes to Lizzie Borden and pop culture, I assume for most people and speaking for myself, the first thing that comes to my mind is like schoolyard jump rope rhyme. Absolutely. <laughs> Lizzie Borden took an axe, gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. <laughs> <laughs> so if you listen to last week's episode, which I hope you did, <laughs> you'll remember that Lizzie's stepmom was struck 18 times and her father 11. So I guess those numbers aren't quite, uh, they don't have the same ringed <laughs> to them. Artistic license. And, you know, hatchet versus axe. It, you know, you gotta, you gotta make do. But the writer of this rhyme has been lost to history. But the prevalent theory is that it was made up by an anonymous writer as a tune to sell newspapers. Mm. Which, if you listen to our Jack the Ripper episode, this rings very true to me. Uh, similarly to the like news revolution in England at that time, Lizzie's was one of the first trials in American history that both fueled and was fueled by major mass market newspapers and magazines. Mm-hmm. In a way, oh, interesting. I did not plan this. <laughs> wow. But that rhyme was like clickbait before clickbait existed. Mm-hmm. Totally. Wow. My subconscious really was uh, <laughs> ranting about clickbait all on its own. Mm-hmm. So all of that said, Kirsten, what are your thoughts on this newspaper selling theory conspiracy with the rhyme and sort of the that piece of the culture? Absolutely. You know, and... We'll get into, I think, next week, the aftermath of the crime itself and the involvement of reporters and um, the media really played a big role in the trial and then the rest of Lizzie's life. So I believe it a thousand percent. It's wild. I mean, I've learned so much from this podcast. (laughs) But, like, history and, like, not just about crimes, but, like, even as someone whose degree specialized in journalism and media, I feel like I have learned more about the rise in power of print journalism through Mm -hmm. this podcast research. Yeah, totally. Well, because you see, it allows you to climb into and find out the particulars of how something played out but I mean it does play a role in so many of our cases we talked you know two weeks ago about Fatty Arbuckle and the way the media had a huge impact on that and again on the rest of Arbuckle's life it's just so intertwined it's fascinating yeah Uh, interestingly I found out that there's a second much less well-known verse to the rhyme Mm. Andrew Borden now is dead Lizzie hit him on the head. Up in heaven he will sing. On the gallows she will swing. Mm. Mm. Which, we'll get into the trial, but 
she was acquitted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> spoiler uh, alert. <laughs> spoiler, that's that's still to come. But um, it, it's really interesting as you're going to hear in my research, like, and I, I've said this to you off pod, like, I feel like a lot of people don't even understand that she wasn't found guilty. Yeah. <laughs> like, even with this rhyme, but like the expectation, like, everything is framed that she's done it. Yeah. So once you get to the universal rhymes, I think it's clear to say you're a part of pop culture. Yeah. (laughs) If little children are singing creepy rhymes about you while jumping rope and in horror movies. Yeah, totally. You're definitely part of the fabric. So in that sense, the story of Lizzie Borden is an essential part of American folklore. Mm -hmm. Like, an urban legend mix of reality mix of fiction it's really fascinating diving into this and shout out to the lizzie borden podcast uh their host richard barons explained it nicely saying quote i think we're still fascinated by the case to this day largely because it has all the elements of a greek tragedy or a victorian melodrama and the fact the case is unsolved gives its cultural longevity Lizzie Borden has been elevated to an American tragedy at the same level as the sinking of the Titanic, end Mm, quote. mm, mm, mm. It's just a thing we all know. And not we all as in true crime people, but like we all as Americans. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a really interesting one in that level. And I've told you this too, like there's not tons of pop culture, like, movies tv shows about her Mm -hmm. but she's like all around it's really interesting I'll, i'll definitely get into it thanks to the persisting legend the original borden family home is still standing almost entirely unchanged it operates as a haunted tourist attraction museum and bed and breakfast and during peak times, parties of 10 can rent the entire house for around $1,645 a night. Wow. And individual rooms go for between two and 700 a night. What? Holy shit. So, I cannot believe that. I'm imagining probably around Halloween, spooky season, like, would be surge pricing. Maybe anniversary of the crime would be like surge pricing. It's a very interesting bed and breakfast concept. That's wild. And according to the manager, um, at least for the museum side, thousands of people visit every year and they, you know, sort of keep track and they're like, they, they've come from Germany, Japan, Australia, New Zealand. Wow. So clearly People are giving a pretty penny just to spend time in this house. And it's not just Americans, even though, like I said, it's like American folklore, but it's global. Yeah. So Lizzie exists in popular novels, biographical true crime accounts, poems, short stories, plays, televisions, movies, music, opera, Broadway, ballet. So she is everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's just an interesting mix as I go through it. So the theater, we go back to the 1930s. Mm. John Colton and Charlton Miles' 1933 play Nine Pine Street featured character based on Lizzie. Then in 47, Lillian de la Torre wrote a one-act play, Goodbye, Miss Lizzie Borden. That same year, Agnes DeMille's ballet Fall River Legend made its debut, and that's largely seen as her masterpiece. Mm. 
So DeMille believed Lizzie was guilty and rewrites the court case to deliver a guilty verdict in the ballet. Okay, then. (laughs) (laughs) That was done in collaboration with Martin Gould, the composer of the ballet, who claimed that he could not write acquittal music. (laughs) What? I don't don't know. I guess acquittal music would be happy. But from the composer's point of view, I guess it was much easier to write guilty music. Well, yeah, I can see that. That makes sense. Um, Lizzie made her Broadway debut in the musical New Faces in 1952, which featured a number titled Lizzie Borden that depicts the crimes. Hmm. So again, most pieces of culture, she's guilty. Like, Mm -hmm. almost every single one of them. Mm In 1959, the play The Legend of Lizzie by Reginald Lawrence made its debut, and it garnered a lot of praise for Anne Meacham's performance in the leading role. Mm -hmm. In 1965, Jack Beeson's opera Lizzie Borden made its debut. And then kind of moving up to 1980, Blood Relations hit the stage about this story. Written by Sharon Pollock, this play premiered professionally in Canada, And the published version won the Canadian Governor General's Award in 1981. And most recently, in 2010, the play opened at the National Theatre of Kosovo, the same year it was published in Albanian. Hmm. So, global. People are interested. An American legend with a worldwide impact. Hmm. But rounding out theatre, in 2009, Lizzie, the musical, staged its debut... And this one's a four-woman musical. Uh, It's punk rock songs, kind of riot girl attitude. The New York Times called it, quote, an eerie hybrid of rock club and a turn-of-the-century New England parlor, (laughs) end quote. Uh, It was well-received, and it's still being performed today. Not spending a ton of time with radio, but I did find a couple broadcasts. Mm -hmm. The earliest one I could find was 1936, And it was the radio program, Unsolved Mysteries, Mm. which didn't even know that existed. Same. (laughs) And was actually pretty hard to find information about. Because I wanted to go sort of on a deep dive of, is this the same Mm -hmm. as the TV show? So they broadcast a 15-minute dramatization called The Lizzie Borden Case, which presented a possible scenario in which the murders were committed during a botched robbery attempt by a, quote, tramp end quote (laughs) i don't know if that's problematic or not but like that's a direct quote (laughs) if anybody's interested i listened to the whole thing and it's the link is in our show notes oh cool you can go back and listen it's like really long pauses but there's like music and sound effects and voice acting it was really interesting Uh, but yeah i had no idea there was an unsolved mysteries radio show either Oh, and of course, transatlantic accents. <laughs> it, it was it was the 30s. Yeah. They had that weird radio voice. Yeah, totally. But kind of running the spectrum, the most recent foray into radio, which is partial radio because it's like terrestrial radio and podcast, but mm-hmm. it's 2022 BBC radio podcast series, Lady Killers. Mm-hmm. So just interesting, yeah. 1936 and 2022. What's interesting is you haven't mentioned anything yet that was produced in Lizzie's lifetime. 
I think the 30s is the earliest I was finding produced pieces. Interesting. And so, yeah, it's just, it's one of those interesting things of like, how can a story be the same story be so captivating a hundred years later? Right. But it is. And then when we look at like TV and movies, Lizzie started hitting the small screen in the 50s. Mm. And the first one I found was Alfred Hitchcock Presents was a TV show. And there was an episode in 1956 titled Lizzie Borden. Oh, interesting. I had no idea. Yeah. And the episode takes place in 1893 with a determined reporter trying to interview the sisters one year after the murders and ends with the revelation in this dramatization that Emma committed the murders. Mm. All right. Which we know she had an alibi. But <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock liked that that mm-hmm. turn. <laughs> then in 57, a variety TV show called Omnibus presented two different adaptations of the Lizzie Borden story. The first was a play, like a televised play, The Trial of Lizzie Borden. Mm-hmm. And the second was a production of the Fall River Legend Ballet that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Taking a slight pivot into the world of tv movies mm-hmm. abc commissioned the legend of lizzie borden a 1975 tv movie starring elizabeth montgomery as lizzie I mean, borden this the seminal work of her career in my opinion but yeah i love elizabeth montgomery <laughs> but first this like we say tv movie which has you know like a thought of what that means mm-hmm. probably from like the 90s mm-hmm. <laughs> of what made for tv movies but this one was really successful. The writer won the 1975 Edgar Award for Best TV Feature. It won two Emmys for Costume Design and Editing. It was also nominated for Lead Actress, Art Direction, and Sound Editing. Yeah. And it was nominated for Best Motion Picture for Television in the 1976 Golden Globes. And I mean, just for reference, I would have only been three or four when this came out. And so there's no way I saw it in its initial release, but I remember seeing this as a kid. So this was probably a staple that got replayed, you know, once mm-hmm. or twice a year back when you had to just wait for networks to decide that you could see something. <laughs> yeah. And then so your cocktail banter piece of trivia yes. is it was discovered after Elizabeth Montgomery died that she and Borden were sixth cousins once removed, both descending from 17th century Massachusetts resident John Luther. So wild. So Rhonda McClure, the genealogist who documented the connection, uh, kind of in that finding, she speculated about like how Elizabeth would have felt knowing that she was playing her own cousin. Yeah. And rip Elizabeth. I mean cool person gone too soon very much so bewitched was everything oh my god so much (laughs) not better than lizzie borden television movie but you know for sure but skipping forward like many of the cases we've covered of course lizzie borden has made her way to the simpsons (laughs) of course (laughs) early on the fifth season lizzie appeared in the episode treehouse of horror 4 from 1993 not long after the centennial of the murders. Mm-hmm. Instead of being on trial herself, Lizzie is a member of the jury of the damned, the only female member, uh, <laughs> deciding whether Homer has legally sold his soul to the devil for a donut. <laughs> <laughs> 
But there was another Simpsons mention a few episodes earlier. Bart's classmate portrays Lizzie in a school dramatization of the story Mm. and promised Bart 40 wax with a wet noodle. So just, you know, a story like this is just around. I'll get into it more, but moving up to 2014, another TV movie, Lizzie Borden took an axe from Lifetime Mm. starring Christina Ricci. Mm. Speaking of marketing, the marketing (laughs) for this movie uh, adapted the rhyme. Lizzie Borden took an axe. She gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Lizzie Borden got away for her crime she did not pay. Mm. Now, the movie got mixed reviews, but (laughs) universally, Christina Ricci got praise for her performance. And the audience loved it. On its premiere, 4.4 million people were watching, making it the night's number one telecast among all key demographics. Wow. And it was so successful that it immediately launched a spinoff miniseries called The Lizzie Borden Chronicles, with Christina Ricci reprising the role. Mm. Again, marketing. This tagline for the series was, Lizzie Borden has an axe to grind. Uh, Speaking at the time, executive vice president and general manager Rob Chernow said that, quote, while the film was inspired by real life events, the series will take certain creative liberties which draw from the mysterious events surrounding the deaths of those close to Borden and the years after her acquittal, end Mm. quote. Mm. So much like the movie, mixed reviews, but near universal acclaim for Christina Ricci. Mm hmm. She was even nominated for Outstanding Performance by a Female Actor in a Miniseries or Television Movie at the 22nd Screen Actors Guild Award. Hmm. Uh, In 2015, the CW show Supernatural Mm -hmm. featured an episode about Lizzie where the Winchester brothers had to investigate the Lizzie Borden house after several people were murdered there. Most recently, I saw there was the 2018 American biographical thriller film, Lizzie, starring mm-hmm. Chloe Sevigny as Lizzie and Kristen Stewart as Bridget Sullivan. And they played lesbians who had a tryst which led to the murders. Mm. Sevigny received a lot of praise for the reality she brought to the character. For an interview with Vice, she said that she went to the bed and breakfast for research, and that was her third time going, which I don't know anything about her personal life, but this seems like the type of person Chloe Sevigny would be. Yeah. She held a seance in the house. All right. So another bit of cocktail party banter for you. Interesting. But then kind of the rest of the movie landscape is mainly low budget horror movies. Hmm. The Curse of Lizzie Borden, 2006. Its sequel, The Curse of Lizzie Borden 2, Prom Night, 2008. Lizzie in 2012, Lizzie Borden's Revenge, 2013. American Poltergeist, 2015. Outside of this, you know, there's tons of stuff about Lizzie in, like, Biography, Second Verdict, Histories, Mysteries, Case Reopened, Mysteries Decoded, Cold Case, etc., etc., etc. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So turning over to literature, some of the like top nonfiction books on the case, there's The Trial of Lizzie Borden by Kara Robertson, The Fall River Tragedy by Edwin Porter, The Borden Murders by Sarah Miller, A Private Disgrace, Lizzie Borden by Daylight by Victoria Lincoln. Top fiction includes Miss Lizzie by Walter Satterwaite, which 
picks up in the 1920s, 30 years after the acquittal. There's See What I Have Done, a psychological thriller by Sarah Schmidt that reimagines the murders. Brandy Purdy's The Secrets of Lizzie Borden reimagines the case with new motives. There's the award-winning thriller The Murderers Made by Erica Mailman, which follows Bridget Sullivan. Mm. But not all fiction is created equally. There's also Lizzie Borden Vampire Hunter, (laughs) Lizzie Borden Zombie Hunter (laughs) 2, The Axe Will Fall. I mean, is it even a historic true crime case if there's not some vampire mashup in the mix at some point? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Lizzie killed her parents because they're vampires or because they're zombies, you know. Mm-hmm. Lots of stuff. And then a big swing in a different direction. There's Lizzie Borden, girl detective. <laughs> <laughs> So this story imagines Lizzie in her youth as a crime fighter and sleuth taking on the criminal underworld of the 19th century. Okay. It read to me like Lizzie Borden meets Nancy Drew. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lastly, and I put this one last because I know you'll appreciate it, (laughs) in Agatha Christie's novel Sleeping Murder, Mm -hmm. Miss Marple mentions this case and Lizzie by name. Mm. I mean... a fun little aside. It only makes sense that this would be... A very interesting case to her like this is right up her alley in so many ways i don't remember if it was on or off pod but we were like explicitly mentioning agatha christie (laughs) (laughs) totally i mean this is basically i think an agatha christie case that just you know didn't have the benefit of poirot or miss marple to solve it Like, this is how all Mm -hmm. of her cases would have ended without their expertise and genius. And, of course, that book was adapted for TV and radio in the U.S., U.K., Syria, Japan, and France, so... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Broad reach. I mean, the most read author of all time after, I think, the Bible or whatever. Something, something, I don't... I can't cite my sources. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like many of our heavy hitters, the story has certainly made its way into the world of music. Mm. Founded in L.A. in 1983, theatrical glam metal band Lizzie, with a Y, Mm. (laughs) Borden, put out its first EP, Give Em the Axe. That band has released nine albums, charted on the Billboard Top 200 four times, and they're still touring today. And you can hear some of their music on our Most Foul playlist on Spotify. Oh, cool. But just, like, totally random, not important question, but, like, why, why? Why not IE? I don't know. Lizzie with a Y. Interesting. Okay. And they're definitely not the only ones. In 1961, folk group The Chad Mitchell Trio released novelty song Lizzie Borden as a single on their album Mighty Day on Campus. And, you know, it tells the story with a lot of black humor with lines like, quote, you can't chop your papa up in Massachusetts. You know how neighbors love to criticize, end quote. (laughs) (laughs) And it was released as a single and it was number 44 on the Hot 100. What? Yeah, in 1962, which getting to number 44 in the 60s is impressive. I get that that's not all that impressive today with streaming and YouTube, but like top 40s were a big deal. Yeah. 
But do you ever see stuff like that and just be like, why am I not a famous songwriter? Because that, that line <laughs> is shit. <laughs> I think, why am I not a famous songwriter all the time? <laughs> but I am a person who does write songs. <laughs> okay. I guess I just need to write one about Lizzie. Maybe. I've only ever written one song about a historical person. I mean, you could have an entire concept album just out of, like, our last two or three cases, I think. For real. (laughs) So the media that I've covered has really been about or inspired by Lizzie, but I wanted to find more because it's like, there hasn't been that much. Like there hasn't been that many Lizzie Borden movies, even though that was a good deal. Mm -hmm. It's just like for our knowledge, I sort of expected there to be more Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in like directly about her and about the case. Right. But then that sort of led me down this rabbit hole of just like references and name checks Mm. and that brought me to the lizzie borden society forum from 2003 (laughs) (laughs) wow and there was a lot of great stuff so i'm gonna run through some of this quickly in stephen king's book from a buick 8 he writes quote the harsh black and white photo of edith in the post gazette didn't help her case it made her look like lizzie borden about 15 minutes before she grabbed the hatchet end quote Oh, my God. Lizzie is mentioned in the book The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson. She's been name-checked multiple times on Law and Order. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The writers of Will and Grace threw out several references to Lizzie, for some reason all from Megan Mullally's character Karen. So she would refer to people names like Lizzie Boredom, (laughs) Lizzie Borden, Uh uh, which will actually come up a little bit later Mm -hmm. Um, mad magazine ran a feature on mother's day cards from children who didn't turn out so well (laughs) (laughs) and this is lizzie's entry quote happy mother's day 1892 when i was just a little child you always said i was too wild you punished me for all my pranks and gave my backside 40 spanks and then when you were good and done, dear Papa gave me 41. I really doubt, sweet mother, dear, next Mother's Day, you'll both be here. Mm. Love your daughter, Lizzie Borden, end quote. Uh. <laughs> I like how they wove in the numbers from the from the kids' rhyme. Mm-hmm. Laverne and Shirley had Lizzie punchlines. Maude had Lizzie punchlines. Like, there's even a Lizzie Borden coffee you could buy if you wanted it. <laughs> what? Now or in the 70s? Yeah, now. Wow. So, like, I wanted to dive a bit deeper into some of the research into how a case like this and a woman like Lizzie has taken this type of pop culture journey over the last century and couple decades. Mm-hmm. So we talk about it and we joke about it all the time. But I went to some actual dissertations about Lizzie Borden in this. Yay! (laughs) So the two that I'm really going to be borrowing from, Lizzie Borden took an axe, History, Feminism, and American Culture by Anne Schofield, and Our Beloved Lizzie, Constructing an American Legend by Gabriella Shallow Alder. Mm-hmm. Both papers follow the thought that as the story of Lizzie Borden has been created and recreated through rhyme and fiction, it's taken on the qualities of a popular American myth 
or legend that effectively links the present to the past. Its social meaning is the same as all myths in that it performs a, quote, symbolizing function that's central to the cultural functioning of the society that produces them, Hmm. end quote. So I'll explain what that means. Like all myths, this story is told and retold and retold and retold, which means as time goes by and society changes, the range of social references of these myths grow and change with them. Mm -hmm. So what is it about the story that resonates with the fundamental elements of American culture and why does it continue to fascinate authors, composers, choreographers? And like we mentioned earlier, like why does it still resonate with us? Similarly and then dissimilarly to Jack the Ripper, the case originally had a focus on class and society in general, but almost like the opposite side of the coin. In Lizzie's case, it was shocking that someone well-to-do and a woman, no less, mm-hmm. could commit crimes like these. Mm-hmm. It really threatened societal beliefs at the time, like literally the belief that women were incapable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and not saying Lizzie's guilty, but just, you know, the narrative. Right. But unlike Jack the Ripper, it's not a whodunit. Lizzie's biographers, almost without exception, agree that she did the crime. And it's the same for like the fictional imaginings as well so like the lizzie borden story is almost never a question of who and it's the question of why Hmm. and this is regardless of her guilt or innocence like this is just what society has done with this story Mm -hmm. motivation becomes the door that like these authors step into at particular times and places to infuse characters and events with their own ideas drawn from american culture at the time Mm. That ballet that I mentioned, The Fall River Legend. In that one, Lizzie's stepmother thwarted a tender romance with a minister. Mm. In 67's Lizzie Borden and Opera in Three Acts, the romance is with a sea captain who was her sister's beau. Mm. In novelist Evan Hunter's 1984 scenario, Lizzie's interrupted in a lesbian tryst with the maid. Mm -hmm. Lashes out at her stepmother and then kills her father out of fear. So it's like it's going on and on and it's really touching on power, patriarchy, the role of women, sexuality, love and American relationship to wealth. Mm. It's not the true crime part specifically that turns it into the legend. It's like how society reacts and imprints to the crime. Right, right. This quote comes from Anne Schofield's dissertation. So, quote, As depicted in fiction, Lizzie represents a fundamental contradiction to the definition of being an American. On the one hand, she's an individual striving for freedom, a quintessential American theme, and on the other hand, she plays the social role of daughter. Historically, the contradictions between the individual and society are most deeply experienced by women who are more constrained by the social order and whose passion is seen as dangerous, end Mm. quote. Yeah. This isn't just fiction, like these gender roles, apologies if you pull from this, but the prosecutor in the trial, Hosea Knowlton, Mm -hmm. expressed the concepts in his summation to the jury. Mm -hmm. And this is a quote from the trial. The prisoner at the bar is a woman and a Christian woman, as the expression is used. It is no ordinary criminal that we are trying today. It is one of the rank of lady the equal of your wife and mine, of your friends and mine, of whom such things have never been suspected or dreamed before. 
I hope I may never forget, nor in anything that I say here today lose sight of the terrible significance of that fact. I am obliged to tread now upon a more delicate ground. The prisoner is a woman, one of that sex that all high-minded men revere, that all generous men love, that all wise men acknowledge their indebtedness to. It is hard, it is hard, Mr. Foreman and gentlemen, to conceive that woman can be guilty of crime, but I am obliged to say what strikes the justice of every man to whom I am talking, that while we revere the sex, while we show our courtesies to them, they are no worse than we. If they lack in strength and coarseness and vigor, they make up for it in cunning and dispatch and celerity and ferocity. If their loves are stronger and more enduring than those of men, I am saying too much that, on the other hand, their hate are more undying, more unyielding, more persistent. End quote. Wow. So nuts. <laughs> so, like, maybe the most Victorian thing ever written. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was, like, losing my mind. What the fuck yeah that is plus like madonna whore like just bring in every kind of but i mean it's so patently demonstrably false and we've talked about the cases that prove how it's false i mean lots of women of high standing through history committed crimes like Mm -hmm. and these are educated men they would have known that you know so it's all this like myth of the woman and the idealized woman and the narrative of the woman, not actual women. 100%. <laughs> it's so blatant even when you shift the exploration of gender into fiction. It's like an even bigger metaphorical category to examine society through these lenses and through really the lens of Lizzie Borden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's just fascinating. Like, yeah, the crime is intense, but like, that's not the reason. Yeah. We are still talking about Lizzie Borden. Right. So kind of ending out uh, this part, I wanted to finish with a quote from the other dissertation from uh, Gabriella Shallow's Alders. And her quote, everything humans do is human. From the kindest to the cruelest acts, this terrifying and wonderful range is one of the things that makes humans so interesting, and the figures who stand at the ends of the spectrum tend to capture our imagination, finding their way into stories and legend. Mm -hmm. Lizzie is extreme, but she is also an ordinary human. She gives the lie to romanticized notions of what it means to be human, and invites us to look unflinchingly at the question, much as she gazes back at us in the well-known photographs, her story is the stuff of literature, whether it's popular or of a grander sort. She is a discursive space where we face fears and fantasies and escape to safety. As we create her anew, we interrogate the past and incorporate pieces of it into the present. We recontextualize her to meet our current needs. She is not finished. We never arrive, but keep moving toward her. The story continues, end quote. Mm. I mean, that really sums it all up right there. You know, it's like this person who is based in fact, but becomes an avatar for whatever as time moves on and, and society evolves. And she was acquitted. 
Like, that's the crazier part. Everything is like, she's guilty. And that's why we're going to have another episode yeah. to discuss this. Because she wasn't found guilty. <laughs> she was not found guilty. And, you know, we're going to talk again next week. I could go, we could, we could do five more episodes, 10 more episodes, right? Just about the trial alone. And I'm I'm not going to go into that much detail because I want to focus on theories. But, you know, Knowlton, the prosecutor that you mentioned, he wrote in correspondence to others at the time that he did not believe the case was winnable. So even the prosecutors knew that the evidence was not strong and had no expectation of winning that trial. So that just adds another layer of what the fuck to it. You know, not only was she acquitted, but even the prosecutors admitted that the case was not strong. Yeah, it's just... And still, the people writing her biographies almost all agree that she did it. And, like, that's the biggest surprise going through this, is that I don't know where that certainty comes from. Mm-hmm. She could have. She could have. Like, but, yeah, it... Ugh, ugh. I know. I know. There's so much to it. And... Again, like, we'll get into it in more detail, but some of her greatest defenders during the trial, once she was acquitted, shunned her from polite society. So, a lot going on here, and she became, I think, essentially the property of the public. I mean, she became a public figure, legally, like, you know, in, in the folklore, she became a public figure in every sense of that term. And the public really owned her story at that point. And still do. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, especially if you look at it with the lens, like if you can imagine for a moment that she's innocent. Yep. And this legacy that I just worked through, like through this episode, like, imagine being an innocent person and this is your legacy yeah yeah and i'm going to imagine just that next week (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's crazy it's crazy and i think also you know you talk about the relative you know lack of pop culture relative to how well known she is And it makes me think of that fucking rhyme and like that little earwig and how that could do so much more than so many other things and your theory that it was a journalist and what that meant. Because, of course, none of that could have been printed. That would have all been slander. It would have been, Mm -hmm. you know. But, I mean, you can't, what are you going to do, like arrest little children, sue little children, like... (laughs) You know, so as a vehicle for disseminating a message, it's like arch villain territory to do something like that. And you're right. To make money. Yeah. And like you said, the, even the prosecution was like, this isn't a winnable case. But newspapers, to make money, were like, this is the villain of the century. Yeah. And you won't believe. I mean, even so much, like like I said, I truly believe if you were to just poll the general public, people would believe that the numbers were 40 and 41. Mm-hmm. And people would believe that she's for sure guilty. And they would probably believe 
that she was found guilty and hung. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that part, I just don't know. So, listener, if you have a take on this, like, definitely let us know because, you know, I've spent so much time in New England. I lived in Fall River for two years when I was in my 20s. So this case, I just have known about it from a very young age. I followed it. Like, I mean, it's too far to say it's personal, but, like, it, you know, I know so much about it and have been close to it for so long. I don't, I don't feel like I can have a fair sense of what the general public thinks or what their knowledge is. So I would love to hear what people are coming to these episodes with. Yeah. And I feel like New England doesn't have a great track record with women historically. <laughs> Whatever <laughs> and do when you I mean? think about <laughs> witch hunts and. <laughs> It just feels like this is the same playbook. Yeah. And, you know, I think that this idea that the New England witches were all of these kind of like wild women who lived out in the woods is just not true. You know, a lot of them were wives of really prominent men. There were a couple of men caught up in it. So this idea of class and what women of a certain class what women in general are capable of it definitely goes way back and yeah particularly as a means to control you know in puritanical times but definitely in victorian times you know what women of certain standing were allowed to do and express and be was very very narrow i'm surprised there isn't a movie where she's a witch yeah I mean, huh. yeah, I think probably rumor. And, and I think, you know, again, we'll get into it next week, but some of this idea of Lizzie Borden as a closet lesbian. Yeah, 100%. Like, it comes up so much. And it gets into that idea of a woman who doesn't follow society's rules. And so I think at that time, the line between lesbian and witch may have been kind of... <laughs> thin <laughs> and she could have been a lesbian yeah there's no reason why not to be but it doesn't make her a killer <laughs> right right which is a crazy sentence to say <laughs> but <laughs> definitely at that time would have been necessary and you know would have been scandalous well yeah look i mean i'm still convinced he did it but Unless it was an owl. But, like, look at Peterson and the bisexuality <laughs> in the yeah. staircase. Yeah. Like, recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a man, and men historically are given a little more wiggle room in matters of sexual behavior. I, mm, I don't know. I think gay men, it's, like, the one area where, like, lesbians are often treated a bit better than gay men. I, I had a whole course about it in college, but yeah, yeah it's more so like the, the penetration, mm. like they, people historically don't see lesbianism as penetration, but gay man is penetration. And it's worse because you're a man who is willing to subject yourself to the lowest level as a woman. <laughs> so fucked There's like up. really fucked up psychology about why gay men are often hated more than lesbians because you're just you're denigrating masculinity to the point where you would take on a feminine subservient role it's really fucked up jesus 
I mean, I guess I'm just thinking of the whole Greek thing where to have sex with a woman was lower than to have sex with a man because men were of higher equal standing intelligence. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> God, it's all such a mess. It's a wonder that humans have accomplished anything, really, when you think about it. If it wasn't for our ability to write things down. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, what an interesting case. I didn't expect the culture to take me into the dissertations and like they were really interesting. I mean, I read like 250 page <laughs> dissertations about Lizzie Borden preparing for this, but oh my gosh, so cool. It's such a I, I'm glad I finally got this in here because I feel like it it's relevant to so many of our cases. Yes. Like it's not about the crime per se right it's about society and the reaction and how something moves into pop culture right and again the whole premise of this entire podcast so listeners i hope you enjoyed taking that journey with me (laughs) so interesting but we're not we're not done yet yeah there's more we haven't even talked really about the trial or theories about what happened and we have them of course we have them we have wild out of our ass speculation and that is all gonna be next week (laughs) (laughs) and as always we appreciate the hell out of you absolutely absolutely (laughs) bye head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review our show. It really helps us out. Plus, we'll read five-star reviews on an upcoming episode. This has been a Facts from Janet production. 